introducing the Poet Life Podcast. Go check it out today on your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Apple Music, and the website, thepoetlife.com. Find a way. Find a way. Peace is going on, everybody. Another episode of the Poet Life Podcast. I'm J-Rod my good brother, Christoph, with your co-host. Yes, we have a special guest today. Phenomenal guest. I don't know where to begin. There's so many things we can start with, so many things we can end with. But I would say he's a public speaker. I will say he's a phenomenal spoken word artist, a slam poet, a slam champion, a trailblazing slam coach. He has his own production company. And amongst other things, he speaks almost everywhere. Um, professional poet, independent artist, all in one, this whole package, so to say, to least in so many words. Lack of better words, and we'll get into more through this conversation. We have Mr. Ed Mabry. How you doing today, good brother? Trying to be like y'all, man. How y'all doing? <laughs> man, pleasure to have you on here, man. Like I was telling you guys earlier, like I wasn't familiar with who you were until this week, and I was like, okay, this 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 is something serious because just seeing who you are, and then it, it was only like a build up. I'm sure it was intentional, Christoph. Christoph, yeah, massive yeah. amount of it. It was a build up to where we we are right now, and we had like. Black Shock, we're talking about power with potency in a pen, and he's yeah. shouting to all these people. And if I'm not mistaken, he, he may have dropped your name. I didn't even know he mentioned. He did like, for okay, sure, cool. definitely. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. I'm like, okay, oh, okay, it makes sense. It makes total perfect sense. So, where do we begin, man? Tell us, tell us who you are. Who, you know about yourself and your artistry and what what, well, what, what, what um, the writing, the speaking. You know. Gotcha. Uh, thank you, first off, for having me on here. Um, my name is Ed Mabry. Uh, I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. I was raised in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, so I'm a Midwest boy at heart. Um, I live in L.A. right now, Los Angeles, California. Uh, I've also lived in Tucson, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, Charlotte, North Carolina, Columbus, Ohio. Uh, eight years in the Navy. Uh, I'm in my 40s, so I'm quote unquote grown, you know, um, as far as poetry. Uh, what got me into it was getting my heart broken and I couldn't afford therapy. <laughs> so I did what everyone else did. And I, I wrote a very horrible, I hate you, I miss you, why don't you be with me, go away, call me again, boom. You know? <laughs> uh, and I uh, performed it uh, at an open mic that was like a couple blocks away from where I live. Um, I think Slam had just dropped the movie, that is, we saw Williams, uh, Love right. Jones had just hit, the Neo Soul, I'm showing how old I am, the Neo Soul movement. Uh, had just come into full effect. Uh, so it was that era. And uh, yeah, man, there was a, a spot two blocks from where I was at. And I used to work the third shift. And I see all the people outside afterwards. And I'm walking to work and seeing them look like they had a great time. Like they came out of church, but like a cool <laughs> church. You know what I'm right. What's this? Like, oh, it's an open mic. Brother, you missed it. And I'm like, oh, man. Uh, and then one day, um, I kept trying to get it, trying to get it. This is back when they like posted the flyers on telephone poles, like they stapled them to telephone. Right. Um, one day I was like, forget it. I was walking down to work and I left early and I stood up. And I said, like, you know, I'm going to get work. And I walked into it and uh, that was it. That was literally it. I went there like it was church. I went there every Wednesday for years in Columbus, Ohio. It was called Snaps and Taps, a little tiny spot like the size of a garage. Um, and things kind of just blossomed into what they are now. I wouldn't have, you couldn't have convinced me it would be what it is now back then. You know, it was just some poems and uh, getting over a girl. And uh, yeah, it just kept going. Wow. 
Wow. So the first poem you wrote, you then performed. Oh, it was garbage. It was it was pure garbage. <laughs> it, was, it was. I wish I still had it just for like the fun. <laughs> it was. Uh, it was so long. I typed it on a brother typewriter, and it was so long. Uh, it took me four weeks to read the entire poem. Right, <laughs> four weeks. I would literally read, and the host would just say, "Stop," and I have to stop and go sit down. Wow. And on the fourth week, I got a standing ovation. And not because it was dope, but because I said this is part four of four. So everybody's like, "Yes, he's done. He's done." He's done. <laughs> I got a standing ovation, and uh, like I mean, I cried and snot and tears and the whole nine yards. It was embarrassing, and I'm, like, I'm never going back again. I got that out of my system. Forget those people. Right. You know, I don't know. They don't know me. Um, I got it out of my system. I'm good. And it was kind of like you know, I grew up in a Baptist church. It's kind of like if you used to go into church where. You say you're not gonna go on Sunday and it's Thursday. Right. Uh, you say you're not gonna go Saturday, come around, you're still acting like you're not gonna go by Saturday, Sunday morning, you know, you're getting dressed to go. Yeah. Uh, same thing. I swore I was never gonna go again. And the closer it got to that next week, uh, by the day, by that Wednesday, um, I found myself rushing down there, like running literally. I ran from my apartment to the spot to go. Mm. Um, and an elder sister. Uh, the community was very tight knit. The black community there in the arts. The elder sister was very happy to see me. Her and the elder brother pulled me aside and told me what they thought about me as a person, uh, based upon the work, the work I had shared. They thought I had something in me that I didn't realize I had in me. Uh, they gave me a book called the Black Poets Anthology, and they said, "Do not read another poem of your own until you've read this entire book." And I was like, "Y'all don't know me. I don't know who you. I'm a grown man. Like, no, who you think you're right. talking to?" Right? Don't listen to you just because you're up in here with a head wrap. Get out of my face. And, uh, you know, try to sound off of And went home, and I kept that book on me everywhere I went. I read it. The bus, work, breaks, the bathroom. <laughs> it was like everywhere I could. I read it. And, uh, and then finally, one week, I got. I kept coming back, kept coming back, and I read poems from the book on the stage. And then uh, one day they came up. They said, you know, look forward to hearing what you have to say next week. And that next week I wrote something and came back and performed it. And I'm sure it was horrible also, you know, but it was like authentic me, you know, not heartbroken me. It was me. Um, and it kind of just kept on going from there. There was maybe about eight of us that kind of formed a little clique or a group where, you know, Christopher spits. And I'm like, man, that was tight. And then Jay spits. And the man that was tight. And then I spit. And we're all friends. And we sit at the table. And we exchange poems to look at each other's poems. Wow. And we go like, oh, okay, oh, I see what you did. I see how you did that. And then so it wasn't a battle. It was uh, iron sharpening iron, you know, steel yeah. sharpening steel. We would, we would look at each other's poems, you know, sit down and edit something real quick, hand it back to you. Why don't you try to say it this way? Oh, yeah, that's much better. And the next week and the next week and the next week. So we had this little incubated uh, dojo, basically, like forming a little Wu-Tang without realizing it. So mm. then poetry slam when we first heard of it uh we had already been kind of doing that work of sharpening each other without realizing it. we were doing it for fun and to talk smack at the end of the open mic like who had the most applause or you know who got the who's and all that kind of thing it was no big deal and then when slam came into place we're like oh like people do this for real for real you know like they're out here doing it for like whatever like creed and, and status and, and whatnot and a couple dollars uh so we started doing that and went to some nationals and then same thing uh, uh, kind of found a tribe in the, the national scene at the time. Uh, it was like me, Saul Williams, Bosia, Telemali, wow. uh, at the time. 
uh, Moms of Steam with Jessica Caramora. Uh, and I kind of started hanging out with them, which is weird because they were all like New York and Cali based, and I was in Columbus, Ohio. But when I went to these events, we kind of hung out. And um, yeah, it, it took me a while to kind of acknowledge that I might, this might be something I want to do. Um, yeah, and that's a whole other story, but I've been doing it for 20 years. So, wow. I was. I already got Jay rubbing his eye. He getting alerted to me talking so much. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man, that's wow, that's heavy. So you like it's like you grew up in it, like that was you were raised in it. Um, in like, a way, well, I was already. It was weird because I was already in my twenties. Okay, right? so it's not a like nowadays. I literally just did an interview the other night where I interviewed uh, some younger people about their time in poetry. And one sister was talking about her seven year history involving poetry. And then she goes, I'm 20. And I was like, mm -hmm. what? How are you 20? You just ran down seven legitimate years of doing stuff. So oh, yeah, I started with a teen competition. And then when I started going to college, I did the college competition. I was like, oh, yeah, no, I didn't. Like, I think I might've, I might've walked into my first spot in my late 20s. Well, not might have. It had to be was my age now. Yeah, I was almost thirty uh, when I walked into my first spot, um, and just kind of never looked back. So it's 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 weird when I hear them say like to me that's been in the game forever. Like you've been in the game since a kid. Like you twenty was seven years deep. I'm like you might right. be more mature than me. You yeah. know. Yeah. So you already came in as a full fledged. You know, think you're grown. Like twenty eight, twenty nine. Uh, but in the poetry world, I was still a kid. I mean, I'm still a kid now because my, my elders are still amazing. Um, mm. Yeah, so it was. Uh, it's. I've been doing it for 20 years. I've been performing and reading for 20 years. I've been slamming now for 20 years. Um, touring now for uh, over, wow, 12 years. Uh, wow. Yeah. So, so when did you join the Navy? Oh, God, I was a kid. I was, uh, my mom, so young, my mom had to sign me in. Yeah, they don't, they don't let people do that anymore. I was That's so what I wanted to say. They, I didn't know they, they did that. that. Yeah, they don't. They don't let you do you that. Sixteen. Uh, I was turning. I turned sixteen that summer, and I had to wait until the following uh, winter to go. Yeah, my mother had to sign me in. Yeah, I graduated fifteen, turning sixteen out of high school, and then uh, she signed the paperwork. She had to co-sign me into the Navy to go in that following the following December. So what was the push? You had you had family members in the navy, or what was the push? I was ghetto and lazy. Got you. There's, there's nothing. That was, a, that was a path to get structured. Yeah, I had uh, I was dating a young lady. She was a year behind me. You know, it was all adorable and cute. We were a cute couple for like three years, and then I graduated. And of course, you can't graduate and be going back, going back to the high school, hanging out. Right. Right. <laughs> you know. Don't look um, right. And she was like, you know what, if you, if you go to college without me, you're going to leave me, you're going to find somebody. And I was like, nah, I'll wait for you, girl. Ain't nothing but a thing. I'll get a job and chill for a year. And then we'll start at the same time and build. And then, of course, you know, you're, you're 16, you're 15, 16, 17, right? So I'm waiting and chilling. And she's like, well, there's a dance coming up, man. Um, you can't come because you don't go here anymore. So I'm thinking I'm going so-and-so. And you're like, what? And my mother's like, I told you when those colleges called you. Take that call and go. You didn't listen. Now here you are. And I remembered like all my friends, uh, we didn't understand the concept of processing paperwork. All my friends would be like, uh, I want to go to school. Here's this packet. Take it to your parents. They fill right. it out. And you 
you magically go to college. And I didn't understand what that meant. I thought they fill it out, you're automatically accepted. I didn't know it meant loans and processes and stuff like that. And unfortunately, due to uh, circumstances at the time, my mother had already filed a bankruptcy uh, mm-hmm. when I was younger uh, to kind of deal with things left over from my biological father. So mm-hmm. she couldn't put her name on anything. She couldn't sign anything. So she's like, yeah, baby, like I told us why you're stuck. So, mm. you know, either take them knees and go walk on somewhere to walk on for football or, you know, so at the time, uh, yeah, I hung out for about most of that first year. But considering where we lived in Dayton, uh, I grew up next door to someone who was on the top 10 FBI list, most wanted for drug dealing. My entire childhood, I lived, I lived next door to this guy who was like in the top 10. I think he was in the top 10, like probably the whole time we lived there. Uh, cool brother. Like, you know, you I wouldn't have known him except one day, like, he he showed it to me, like, bragging, like, yo, check this out. And then I actually saw it at a police precinct one time on a school visit. And I was like, that's our neighbor. That's Mr. Norton. <laughs> They're like, can you show us where he lives? I was like, uh. Right, right. I ain't no snitch. I, ain't. <laughs> I don't know about all that, homie. Uh, like, wow. he's really right next door. Uh, but yeah, man, so uh, the crack epidemic, when it hit, like, people don't understand if you're not of a certain age, like, when it hit, nothing like that has ever happened in America. It hit so hard. Um, and everything just changed. So all your half my boys was dead, half was in jail or selling. And my mother saw the path I was heading on. And she was like, you got to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got a big argument, and I contacted a, a, a recruiter like the next uh, the next morning, um, and that was it. As a matter of fact, I came to her. She didn't even know I came to her. I was like, "Yeah, they said I'm too young. You got to sign this. I'm out." Yeah, see, that's what that's what I was trying to get to. I was figuring it. Yeah, okay, got you, got you. Okay, that makes sense. You know, um, so the young lady was that the young lady that. <laughs> We're bringing it all the way around. We, <laughs> was that the young lady that sparked the whole? Oh, the boom? Oh, nah, nah, nah. No? Nah. Okay, all right. I healed over Okay. That pretty great. You know, beauty of being 15, 16, you get your heart broke every five minutes. The beauty of it is you fall in love every yeah. five minutes. So, um, okay. Now, that was my ex-fiance at the time. Was crazy about both those scenarios, though, is so I signed up for eight years in the Navy. Uh, never knowing that my biological father had been in the Navy. I, I had never known that about, I never really knew him, and I didn't know that, but he had actually been in the Navy for my mother. When I told her I was signing up specifically for the Navy, she, crying. she like, cried and lost her mind. Because she's like, oh my God, like it's, you know, I thought I would not tell you about the bad parts of him and maybe you'd avoid it. And instead, you're like walking right into that path. Um, so I definitely believe in the spirituality of some of the things we do in life, right? Yeah. Um, then the sister I was engaged to that did the whole heartbreak and da da da. Um, she went to the same poetry spot I went to, but she went there the year that when I said all those times I walked past it and it was over. At the time, it was called the Poets Cafe. She was mm-hmm. there every Wednesday. Wow. With her new man, <laughs> every Wednesday for a year. Then the poets had beef the way poets have stupid beefs. Yeah. And it was one group of there was like the the deep thinking third eye poets was like, we want to do this. And then like the other poets like, we want to do that. Right. So they split up and uh, one group stayed in the venue and they changed the name to Snaps and Taps. The other group went somewhere else. And that week, 
that it changed snaps and taps is the week that I showed up. And that week prior was the last week she had ever walked in those doors. Wow. So it was crazy because somebody would be like, yeah, man, you should be this one sister. She performed. Um, her name was Amani. She was da 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 da. And I was like, wow, like she sounds familiar. You know, I was like, yeah, that reminds me of my ex. Her name was Kim. And then I find out like a year later, yes, yeah, she was going by Amani in the spot and eventually legally changed her name to Amani, which is crazy. Now she's a uh, she's a bishop. No, she's a vicar in a Lutheran church in like Buffalo, um, New York. Wow. Yeah. Like life is wicked. Yeah, like a almost six foot tall, uh, three, four foot of dreads vicar at a Lutheran church. Wow. Yeah, man. That's deep. What you what you got, Jay? I know you got something. I'm I'm listening to the story, like trying to uh yeah, this is uh, one thing you spoke on was just um the footsteps, you know, with the father, you, your father and everything like that. Um how how important was that too, I guess? Uh, did you feel like it was like getting out of his shadow in a sense when you left the Navy and, and started really pursuing writing or was it like a sense like was it on what you had to carry that a little bit longer than you expected to? It's a good question. Um, I think the more we try to get away from who we are, the more we end up running smack into it. Mm. Right. Uh, my father and, and I, let me preface with this. Um, I don't know him very well at all, but I love him. Right? Yeah, because there's no me. Uh, and at some point in time, he and my mother loved each other enough for me to be here. Mm. So I, I love him without knowing him. But uh, it took a long time to come to that piece, right? Um, so, like, he smoked cigarettes, so I don't smoke. He's an alcoholic, so I don't drink. Um, he was a womanizer and abused women physically. So I, you know, and you're not supposed to anyway, but I don't, of course, I don't do that. I don't put my hands on. Um, like everything that everything I ever heard that he did, I would be the opposite of. Uh, but in turn, I still have to stop my DNA from being my DNA. Right. So without that information of knowing what informed him and made him become the person he was, then you're almost doomed to repeat some of those things, even if you avoid them. Right. You know, uh, like I noticed after one period of time in my life, I didn't drink, but every woman I would date would have a drinking problem mm. for like a three-year time frame. You know, like keep like I don't care if we run out of food, vodka gotta be in the freezer. You know, and then one day you go, wait a minute, why am I? You know, um, right. that's the period every woman I dated smoke cigarettes, and I'm like, that's cool, just don't smoke in the house. You know, just right. whatever. Right. Um, so no, I, I think it was a matter of, of coming to terms with I'm a junior, he's a senior. Um, at one point, I started telling my mother, tell me, tell me about, it. you know, uh, and I gave him the chance to tell himself about me. Mm. And he just wasn't in that that space to do. So, like he's still alive now. He lives in Cincinnati. Uh, I use I do a show every year on my tour in Cincinnati where anybody with my last name can get it for free. Um, and I used to put ads in the paper for it to let so the word would get out to him to know to like, come out. And um, he came out one twice. He came out one one time. He didn't come. He showed up, but he didn't come inside. One year he came, and you'd have thought we had just spoke like two days prior. He was outside smoking a cigarette. The car came and dropped me off. I go to walk in. I see him. He's like, "Hey man, I'll be inside in a minute." All right, let me finish this. What's good? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "Okay." Yeah. 
Okay. Like, I'll, I'll get to the car, I come running to my arms, bro. But you know, like, like you know, let me just report. I'll be right there. And then he came up. Anyway, yeah, man, what's good? You good? You looking good, man. You still kind of still got that baby fat on you. Know you're older now. It ain't baby fat. Now you just fat. I guess that's what gets the women right. And I was like, okay, hello, father. That's right. Like, all right, bro. Well, you have an open tab and, you know, like, just enjoy yourself. Wow. And it was the weirdest, it was the weirdest, most surreal thing. Uh, he watched the whole show. He had a little disposable camera and he kept taking pictures. Uh, an uncle of mine showed up with him and a cousin of mine came through. Um, at the end of the night, he tried to buy my merchandise. I was like, you can't, like, your money's no good with me. Just, just wow. here, take it, take the CD, take whatever. Uh, he got some photos with me. He was like, yo, no matter what you ever think about me, there's not a day that goes by I don't think of you, and I love you. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, let's have it. Now, would you like to get some food? We can sit down in the diner and get some grub. We can go back to my hotel where I'm at and sit and chop it up. Uh, and instead, it immediately turned up. He was like, yeah, so... Uh, you know, they trying to stiff me on. He took a sip of his drink. He's like, yo, it's kind of watered down. They think I'm some kind of dumb fool and a bunch of other things I can't say on your network because of profanity. He's like, yeah, let me go back to the bar and put them in check. Like, you don't water down my stuff. Da, 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 da. So, you know, hey, man, look, I got to work in the morning. Um, there's a couple cuties in here. You want to double up? And I was like, you mean like father, son, push up on some women? He's like, hey, man, like, you know, you got the voice, you got the poets, you got the head thing going on. Come on, bro. Some cuties in here, you know. Get a couple drinks, you know. We can make it pop off. And I was like, Nah, bro. I think I'm, I think I'm good. I think I'm, I think I'm good. He's all right, brother. Stay up, man. I'm gonna get this other drink, man. I'm gonna get up out of here. Go with the drinks is cheap. I got work in the morning. That was the last time I physically laid, laid eyes on him. And I was like, Okay, you know, it's, it's whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? So the answer is, it's, uh, I made my peace with a lot of that early enough on because mm. um, yeah you just go okay I have to accept the fact that I don't know what made it for me I saw Jay-Z of all people did an interview and he was talking about how he used to hate his father yeah and then he saw his father and then his mother had to talk with him and he was like I don't know what demons that man is running from right. that made him the way he is because at some point he was a good man and then you know drugs and yada 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 and I was like oh okay yeah you know let me not let me not overly judge him because yeah. I've yeah. got my demons, I've got my problems, I've got my holdups. You know, I have my problems with my son. I did the opposite. I would try to be there a hundred percent for my son, and his mother tried to put a, a obstacle between the two of us. Mm. Um, and in turn, that caused a different issue to where he wouldn't speak to me because he was mad and never just took him from her. Um, you know, so he was mad for the opposite reasons. Like, so it's weird. Like, so my father and I don't speak because of his running away me and my son right now are on like i guess separated because of i mean he's grown he's in his early 20s and married but because uh what happened with him when he was young and he chose to back away mm. right? so you have to try to find some kind of way to break that circle you know yeah and he kind of got like respected too but also try to you know and yeah yeah yeah, just yeah. let them know, like, you know, whenever whenever that thing happens that you decide you want to turn back and hit me up, like the door is always open. Like that's all you right. do. Like the door is open. I love you. I I punch guy dead in the face for you. You know, yeah. the rock. Like when you need me, I'm here. You know, type thing. But uh, let everybody live their life and then make their own decisions and choices. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, let me ask you. 
uh, about the the professional poet that you are, right? You, <laughs> I, I'm glad. I'm glad we got the the backstory, right? And right. now you're in it. You're 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 touring now. Or when did you start touring, and how did you start touring? Uh oh wow, bro, that's a great question. Um, of course they're not touring right now because of COVID. Um, you know, not well, not right now, but like at that time. Yeah. yeah. Um, my first ever tour was probably '04, '02 or '04, somewhere in there. Um, I did. That's back when you would go to the poetry, bigger poetry slam was called a National Poetry Slam. Mm. You know, like anywhere from four to six hundred poets get together in the city and take it over and compete. Uh, seemed like the Olympics, but you represented the city or your poetry venue because you have more than one venue per city. Anyway, back then, if you won or you did really well or you were noticed, um, companies would send people out to headhunt for you. You know, hey, we need a, a writer. Hey, we need someone to perform for this or that. Um, so I started doing pretty well in the slams, got a little bit of a name for myself in that. Um, there was a listserv we all talked on on a Yahoo group. That's how old I am. And <laughs> after Nationals was over, you come back home and everybody, you know, oh, I've had such a great time. This is so dope. Please keep in touch. You know, here's my email address, you know, whatever. And uh, some people get on the road and they hit the road. And I was like, yo, my name is Ed Mabry. I would love to come to your spot um, if you're interested. And I thought I'd get like a couple shows. I figured it'd be like an excuse to like have a paid vacation. Like I'm going to go mm -hmm. to where Christoph, Christopher mm -hmm. runs his show. He'll pay me a couple bucks or just he'll invite me to come through and I'll kick it. Um, at the end of uh, two days, I had about a week's worth of shows. At the end of two weeks, I had two months worth of shows. Mm. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, this is different. Like, this is a, a for real thing. And then I went to a couple shows, and at the end of the night, they handed me money. And I was like, oh, you get paid. They're like, yeah, bro, you get paid. Like, this ain't free. I was like, oh, I was, I was coming to do it for free. Y'all are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing for free. I was just coming to hang out. You know, I was coming to Chicago for two days. I was gonna kick in Chicago. Um, so I took leave from work and did the joint. Um, I was married at the time. Uh, we we gonna keep touching on his relationship conversation because of the professional <laughs> part. But I was married at the time, and uh, I was like, look. So what will it take for you to give me permission in our marriage to like pursue this? She said, well, you need to hit 80% of your current income. We both worked at the same corporate office with this credit card company. Yeah. I said, bet. I lined it up, did the math, said, here's, I'll make 85% of what I currently make now. But cash uh, under the table at the time, we'll keep that quiet. Um, right, you know, right, right, right. And she said, go for it. And I went for it. And um, yeah, that was a year. You know, those two months turned into a year instantly. Uh, then it was back and forth between work you know, real corporate America, nine to five, and the poetry thing on weekends when I could fit it in. And then it got to the point, I was like, okay, you have to pick one or the other. Right. Yeah, I worked a job and I was a manager and I would dip out on weekends and do shows. And our district manager was like, you can't moonlight. And I was like, nah, bro, you know, all I, I'm all, I'm team us. That's all I do. Right. And it was a restaurant. And one day he's there talking to me and a customer comes up and they're like, I saw you perform. You're so amazing. Oh my God. I'm like, she was like, you were great. And I was like, I don't, ma'am. I don't, I think you have to confuse someone. She said, no, 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 no. 
you're Ed Mabry. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> um, I can't even hide now. And uh, he like, turned to me. He was like, let's have a talk. And he wrote me up. And uh, the general, I was the assistant general manager. The general manager, mm. we had to talk about it. And he was like, you know, just be careful. And uh, about a week, two weeks later, uh, I come in. And my manager's sitting there. And I was like, oh, this can't be good because he must be off. And he was like, so you're late. I'm like, nah, I'm salary. Can't be late, bro. Plus, <laughs> like, why are you here? He's like, here's the deal. Um, you're going to be mad at me right now. You're going to thank me later. And he handed me these termination papers. And I was like, this is bull, man. What's going on? He's like, look, I saw you. I went to the show. Wow. The district manager also came and saw you perform. Um, he said, so he told me I have to do this. I was supposed to do this a week and a half ago. He's like, but I went back and I watched you. He's like, I'm telling you right now, you're in the wrong profession. Wow. I don't know what what you did on that stage. Uh, I don't know how to um, monify it, for lack of a better way to say it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how to turn it into capital. He's like, but I know that you are not supposed to be a manager of a Bob Evans restaurant. He's like, so quit wasting your time here. He said, you made me and my wife cry. White guy. He's like, you made me and my wife cry. He's like, wow. I, can't, I can't imagine. He said, what's funny is he said, my uh, undergrad degree was in English and creative writing. He's like, and I could never do what you do. He's like, so you'll hate me. That's fine. You know, but go go figure out what that looks like. Wow. And of course, at the time, I them out. <laughs> you know, side bills. <laughs> child support. Like, right about trying to hear that right now, man. Um, but looking back on it, I was like, wow, like his name was Keith. And I was like, yeah, bro, like, thank you, because you were dead all right. You know, and I stepped forward and I became like the, I think I might have had one job after that when I lived in Arizona. And that's because they let me do both. They let me work four days on, 10 hour days. And then I was off for a three day weekend to tour. And I literally would come into work with my suitcase. Wow. And then one day I just looked up and was like, I did it for a year. And then I did it for a year. And then I have something like this where I did kind of interview talk and someone said, how long have you been doing it? And I was like, when was the last time I clocked in for somebody else? And yeah, it's been 12 solid years since I mm -hmm. clocked in for somebody else. At least. Yeah. So <clears throat> you said you were heavy into the slam mm -hmm. arena, right? And then mm -hmm. there was a um, Yahoo group thread network mm -hmm. and on that network there were people offering jobs, I'm not jobs, but gigs and uh, looking for poets and that whole network thing, right? And so with that network, you were able to book gigs on a regular basis. Was um, Small shows, gigs, small like, shows. Yeah, $25, $50, $75, so, so what made you believe that you could make that 85% or that, yeah, that 80, 85%? Um, I'd always been never afraid of work. I normally work like at least two jobs at a time anyway. Um, my mother instilled a good work at the Emmy. She worked two, three jobs and I was a kid, I was the last few kids. So like when I woke up in the morning for school, she was gone. When I came home from school, she wasn't there yet. She normally make it home by the time I was getting ready for bed, you know, uh, for her work to like, pay the bills and handle, handle responsibilities. Um, 
So it was a matter of just doing the math of, okay, if we're going to be real about this, then how many shows does it take? Mm-hmm. Plus, you're talking at the time, like, times are changing. Back then, you're talking $25,000 a year was decent money. Mm-hmm. You know, that was considered that was considered middle income at wow. that, in that area. You know, $24,000, $25,000 a year was, you doing all right, especially in Columbus, Ohio. You got a crib, you got a car, a small payment. You're putting about $50 a week into your, your bank account, your 401k, you got insurance. So you're not getting over, but you're, you know, getting mm-hmm. by. Um, yeah, so it was a matter of doing that, selling merchandise, traveling, driving everywhere, uh, putting a couple hundred thousand miles on a car in the course of like a year and a half, two years. Um, yeah, and it was just, other than that, I don't know, like the, the technical answer to your question, I had no idea. I did it on faith. Yeah. Uh, I was very much Forrest Gump, you know, walk this way and you walk into, you know, blessings, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I couldn't, I can tell you the business acumen of why it worked. Uh, or how it worked, but I couldn't tell you why. Nah, bro, I was, that's more the reason I took it as a calling. Like, it's your ministry, it's your calling. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can kind of tell by whether or not you're able to do it. Right. You know, if you have to force it, like anything else in life, you have to force yourself to do a thing. How many times you force it before you realize it's not the thing you should do? Right. You know? Wow. Go ahead, Jay. Um, yeah, so. <clears throat> Now that you win the slam scene and 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 you won awards and you traveled everywhere, you started to coach. Mm-hmm. Coaching now and and you coach Brave New Voices team and 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 it's 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 three of them, you know what I'm saying? So, um, can you can you break down just your coaching career because I I find that um artists that's like the goal for mine as I get some years under my belt to sit back and now I want to give y'all. What I've done, what I've learned. So now you went that. It's beautiful, man. Um, I've done, I've coached several EMD Breaking Voices teams or Youth Speaks teams. Uh, Cupsy, which is the collegiate national poetry slam they have. I've coached a couple collegiate teams as well. I've coached adult teams uh, where I've served as a slam master and coach for a venue that sent teams to uh, the national poetry slam at the end, regional slams, et cetera. Um, that's a good feeling because it's just a matter of helping to cultivate the person. It's not so much. Everybody wants to win. Okay. It's a competition. You want to win. You didn't show up to lose. Otherwise, why show up? But because you're dealing with people's art, mm-hmm. you have to approach a little differently. It's not get this ball in the hoop, make this touchdown, and how you can separate that from yourself. Right? I missed the free throw. Doesn't make me a horrible person. <laughs> you know, doesn't mean you <laughs> practice more. Um, but a lot of times in slam, if someone didn't score well with their poem and that poem happens to involve something that affects them personally in life, mm-hmm. they go, oh, my writing and my life aren't worthy because you scored me so low. And people have a bad habit of internalizing mm-hmm. that, you know, here's a poem about my dead grandmother. You give it a two. And now in turn, I go, oh, well, I guess I didn't love my grandmother well enough to write her a good poem. Instead of just going, you didn't like the poem, that's your that's your right to do so. I must like it because I wrote it and I'm choosing to share it. So it was cool enough for me. Um, so now coaching is a beautiful thing. Um, these days I do it more open uh, in terms of via the internet where I don't coach a specific team. I'm not affiliated with any teams, any youth teams. I make it where anyone comes knocks on my on my cyber door. Uh, a brother this morning literally hit me up um, for advice about accepting an offer from a, a corporate sponsor. Uh, someone the day before hit me up and talking about how to file their taxes 
because they're 21 years old and they're starting to make good money. And like, so how do I file as an independent and sole proprietor and all that kind of stuff? Um, so now it's more a matter of, even like with Chakra, like uh, I haven't schooled Chakra. Chakra is an amazing human being and has a circle that doesn't need my help. But anytime he hits me up, we talk and chop things up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm more than willing to share whatever I can share because I remember a time when, when I first started trying to take it serious and I went to people who I idolized at the time for advice and they all would just kind of roll their eyes and walk away. You know, right. all like, you know, you'll figure it out uh, because they figured uh, what you said earlier, Christopher, about um, one of the models and one of the missions of your podcast is mm-hmm. to teach the multitude. Mm-hmm. So the multitude walks through the door, not just one person. Um, at the time, a lot of cats were like, oh, well, if, if Jay gets in, then that stops me from eating. So I'm not going to let Jay in because then that's he's going to take food off my plate. It's like, nah, bro. That yeah. means they got to bring more food. You know, like if the world was walking the room, the more food they got to bring. And if yeah. they don't bring enough food, eventually we can just take it over and we can control the supply and demand. And um, then we hire the chef. Exactly. And then we, yeah, it becomes our restaurant, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and we didn't uh, at the time a lot of cats did not see it that way mm. uh, this is pre-internet being a serious thing it's like just email this isn't Google this isn't YouTube so anytime something happened it was yo so and so got a they're performing on a Sprite commercial you're like oh my god you know if yeah. I win this yeah. slam I can be on a Sprite commercial well cool dog how'd you get that hookup ah oh, bro I can't talk to you about that mm. it's like okay but you already done it your money's you're, you're done you know you're done so why not Pass it forward. So these days, my my education and edification process comes from anyone who wants to hit me up. My IG, my Facebook, my Twitter, my email. That's why I still to this day on my business card, my email, my direct phone number, my direct emails, my name, everything social media is my name. So people never can say they have a problem finding me. You find my name, you find my face, you know, unless it's a troll <laughs> that made a fake page, it's happened. Otherwise, you're going to hit me up directly and I'm going to reply to you and uh, try to help you as much as I can, you know, because I hopefully will help you get something and then maybe down the road, if I'm not doing so well, you'll remember that. Yeah. That's yeah. a that's a beautiful thing, man, because they people just gotta realize again, like you said, like I said, it's 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 if we're gonna build this industry, man, like we all gotta do it. We all gotta get in the game. You know, there's no industry with one person. You know what I'm saying? And 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 you know, we invite people on because we expect them to share the knowledge that they have you know what i mean you know we we want people watching and listening to say okay so that's how he did it wow that's how he got on def jam that's how okay all right so i need to i need to write like we'll get dms all the time all the time saying you know i take notes when i'm listening to the podcast you know and 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 that's what we're here for man you know um because i'm I'm about 37 about yeah i'm about to be 38 in october and um for 30 years i'm trying to figure this thing out you know I, and i'm not a performance poet i try i try the um um spoken word thing you know the stage is just not my thing you know what i'm saying like i, I just don't get excited about the stage um but i love writing right and so i mm-hmm. i write haiku i write haiku on this typewriter and um but i also write I can write a uh, spoken word, 
right? So I can I can write theater art. So now I, I I link up with people who love the stage, and I sync my passion for the pen with their passion for the stage, and we mm -hmm. make poetic productions and things of that nature, right? And oh, so and, and yeah yeah so that's what that's what's so awesome about the industry. Uh, there's so much room for it. It's so like in its infancy. It's in its oh, yeah. infancy. Yeah. It's you know what I mean? Man. People don't. Poetry is the wild, wild west. I mean, if you want to talk about the business, right? Yeah. It's like anything else in terms of supply and demand. You you start local to get global. So, right. But when you're local, you're still thinking. You're thinking globally when you act locally. So you mm. pre-COVID, um, like the short workshop version would be pre-COVID. You go to your local open mics. You perform. You rip that mic. Mm. Those who runs that show. Uh, hi, my name is uh, so and so. Um, I would like to feature. Mm. You know, okay, I need to see you perform. Great, no problem. You come through and perform. You, you pay. You don't have to get in for you. Pay. You support that venue. You put money in that mm. venue. That's that belief system. Um, that karma comes back to you. Perform. You rock the mic. People come to see you after several times of showing up. People are looking for you. They're excited when you step up. Now you go to that host again. I would like to feature. They go great. You go excellent. Let's set up a date. Uh, as soon as you set that date up, you are contacting the next venue, you know, the Thursday spot. Hey, I would like to feature Joe's spot. I invite you. I'll pay for you to come see me Wednesday at the Wednesday spot. Mm -hmm. um, now, in turn, you're, you're getting venue B to go spend money at venue A and you're what's called cross pollination. Mm -hmm. You're making one people come to another venue they don't really come to to see you. OK, cool. We like you. We'll definitely have a show, our show in the future. Great. As soon as that date's set up, you get the next date. Once you've done four of those dates, you go, okay, now that's my city. Now the next mm -hmm. city. You know, who, what's, who's popping in the next city? Yeah, I've done a circuit in my city. Mm -hmm. You know, here's my footage. Here's my video. Um, here's my cell phone standing outside, holding in front of people's face. You know, real quick, you just give me 10 seconds of what you thought about my poem tonight. Da -da -da -da. Thank you. Click. Hey, give me 10 seconds with them my poem tonight. Thank you. Click. Hey, can you give me 10 seconds with them my poem tonight? You know, you get a handful of those um, and that's your Instagram and your Twitter feed and that's your shouting people out. Uh, make sure you show them love. Um, you get that next city do the same thing. Uh, you repeat that until you hit all the major cities in your town, in your state. Now you start leaving that state. Hey, I maximize my state when you go to the states. You have merchandise at this point. You have a website at this point, a basic one page thing that just shows where you are. Mm -hmm. um, you interact with your audience and you interact with your clientele and treat as customers. Um, you automatically are rescheduling your shows. Uh, Talal Macy taught me that. As soon as you finish a show, hey, Christopher, did you like my show tonight? Hey, Ed, you did a great job. Great. Um, how about we do this again in six months? Well, I, how about we do this again in six months? Yeah, that sounds like a plan. Good deal. I'll put it in. I'll email you in the morning. And it's an email reminder. Thank you very much for the show. Loved it. Enjoyed it. Uh, I got a date down in six months for this particular week of this month. Cool. I'll, I'll talk to you again. I'll check back in three months out, make sure everything's still good. If you do that at every spot that you go to for a month, now you have built-in income in six months. Now you can start budgeting and planning. Or you say, let's do it in a year. Um, you know what? I have more poems. What's your biggest show you do? Oh, we have an anniversary show. That's the show I would like to do. What do I need to do to show you that I can do that show? I want your biggest show because most people are most money. 
you know, or whatever, or whatever show fits you. Uh, I'm very political. I want your Black History Month. I'm very romantic. I want your Valentine's show. I'm whatever, whatever. Or you the opposite. When does everybody hate coming here? When I first started touring, I was the person who went to, I was at the East Coast in the winter. I was at the West Coast and Southwest in the summer because it was easy money. No one else wanted to do it. I was like, I don't care about snow or heat. I came up in the Midwest. So do the show, make more money. Because those people who come out are more dedicated to coming out because they came out in that bad weather. Um, you do that, you get your merch sales up, you get your show acumen up, you get your connections up, you make a Rolodex of all those people you connected to. Um, inevitably, people who buy your merchandise, you start sending them thank yous. You're going to start having people go, hey, you ever heard of such and such? They're not really on the circuit, but my friend runs it. It's really dope. You should check it out. And that's what's called fallout shows or the recommendation shows. So you add those shows to the roster. Um, now, in turn, you go back and you can say, okay, I have, I don't know, 20, 30 shows set up for next year or in six months. Now you can contact somebody where you live. Hey, Gerardi, I heard that you have like some dope clothes. You got the Poet Life podcast going on. Mm-hmm. I would love to rock a Poet Life podcast t shirt everywhere I go and give like a quick 30 seconds on the microphone talking about what y'all do. Are you willing to help me get my tour on hand? You know, what does that look like? Well, here are my sponsorship endorsement packages. You know, I rock your t shirt. I'll say the proper name. I'll give information. I'll add it to my website information. I'll add it to my info. I'll add it to my tags. In return, y'all pay me this particular stipend. You'll literally be able to see that I'm doing my part because you'll see the photos get posted of me wearing your shirt at the show, you know, or me talking about your set. When I put it up on the phone, hey, y'all, so make sure everyone said, what's up, podcast, spotlight, boom, cool, we good. All right, da-da-da. You go, wow, this is really helping us out. Our numbers are growing, and we don't have to travel. He's traveling. And doing this for us um you just keep yeah just keep doing that eventually go hey probably like look really appreciate y'all but um now i got my brand i got my shirts right i got my merch so now we're going to change the nature of our relationship and how mm-hmm. i love you because now i'm wearing my stuff you know and if you go cool the relationship changes or you go wow we really like this relationship tell us about your merchandise you know maybe we can get on board with that like what are you doing um so now you have CDs, books, other merchandise to sell, whatever works, stickers, ball caps, whatever works, whatever shows your particular niche market. Um, you're touring, performing, you have your gigs lined up, you're booking them in advance, six months, 12 months in advance, you're adding more shows to that. Um, now in turn, you want to start looking into college gigs, uh, depending on your educational level and what your skill set is, uh, speaking in schools, getting an agent, getting a manager. Um, you talk about getting an entertainment lawyer at that point. Um, of course, you have an account by that point because you're touring so much. You got 1099s coming in everywhere. Right. Um, you want to start writing all those hotels and everything else off. Good moving from Greyhound and Megabus to, you know, Amtrak and renting a car or flying everywhere you go. Uh, and it just kind of lit us kind of how it builds up. You can do that without ever winning a slam. Like that's that's not including slamming and winning. My route was I slammed a lot. I won a lot. I became the, the quote unquote made a word the winningest poet in the history of poetry slam by default people came to me because like yo like every time we see him every time we hear about a slam eight times out of ten if he's in it he wins so let's see what he's about um so miles a little different in terms of how the blessing hit but from a business perspective it's just that you know and that's literally that's what jay that's what jay-z did it's what kanye did that's what uh, Beyonce, like insert the artist. That's kind of what they did. You start local, but you think global. You know, that's all. Uh, and that was pre-internet. Now, of course, with 
GoDaddy.com. Like you can build a website in five minutes. You right. know what I'm saying? Or never have one. You can have Instagram. A lot of people just have Instagram or just have Facebook and got a strong Facebook and you know they ship stuff from their house and whatnot. Um, Ace Metaphor uh, is a public speaker. He started as a poet. Uh, he's from Dayton, Ohio. You look him up. He's he just bought a house, like a house, multi-story house, on the strength of his motivational speaking, which came from his poetry. And he didn't do slam. Kind of like I'm saying, he did slam a couple times. So that it's not for me. It's not the way I'm shaped and built. He took his poems and uh, started finding lines in those poems that resonated with people. And it turned out his market was women because he talked a lot about relationships. So then for an entire year, every day for a year, he did a live, I think on Facebook or IG for like five minutes where he found a line, oh, this line of my poem, you know, um, don't break a heart, da 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 And he mm-hmm. just talked about it. And for for 363 days, nothing. Two likes, three likes. Two likes, three likes. And then he said one thing and viral. Wow. Now, if you go look him up right now, if he goes live on Instagram, it's 96,000 comments. He goes live on Facebook. He did a poetry event for free during the COVID. Had, I think, 10 of us poets perform. He each did like a five-minute, six-minute set. He did it strictly on donations. When it was your turn, your name and your cash app came up. Every poet made several hundred dollars. Several hundred dollars. Just off the donation strength of the people that were watching it at the time. He had like 25,000 people just randomly tuning in and watching us randomly go up, spit a poem, you spit a poem, you spit a poem. They see your cash app, you know. And meanwhile, he sat back like, hey, y'all, next person to give the next poet or any poet at least $10 in the cash app, I'm giving you four of my books for the price of two. So all of a sudden, Jay get $10, Jay happy, because he performed an hour ago. <laughs> you know, he got $10 in right. his cash app. Somebody posts, I did it, and they post a little, they post their, their uh, receipt number for doing it. Now in turn, they go buy his books, and he literally was doing this from his crib like we are now. He was just grabbing, all right, got your books. They're in an envelope, they're ready, they're in an envelope, they're ready. By the end of that show, he turns the camera and there's a couch full of just envelopes. One day he sold, I think he said he sold $6,000 worth of books in an hour. He started as a poet. And he's still a poet, you know what I'm saying? He's still a poet. But now he's in the uh, the motivational speaker right. content kind of thing. But yeah, he started as a poet. He still does poems. Let me ask you why. Um, I've always wondered that poets are great at the mic, great with words. You know, why why not get into also what just like you said, ace metaphor? Why not get into public speaking? Uh, because we don't value ourselves the way others do. I knew he would tell the truth. I, I know he would tell the truth, so that's why I asked. Had, had to sip some tea on that one. <laughs> I mean, but, but really, <laughs> you know, and I have the same, I have the same question for battle rappers. Battle rappers can memorize. Well, they get money though. I no, would, they do. 
every, they every do. Poet, 99% of all poets make less than the average battle rapper. Oh, for sure. Yeah, right so now. They, they at least get, they know what they're getting into when they show up. And normally there's, more often than not, there's a comma in, yeah. in, that, in that dollar conversation. And they get to prepare in advance. Poets don't. Okay. We complain the most of any performance artist I know, but we do the least amount of work to make the any change. The least amount of work. To we want someone to come up and change it. Uh, when Kendrick Lamar drops uh, I or the Pimple Butterfly, we're like, man, that's mostly poems. He's spitting poems. He's getting credit for being poetic. I write poems. Okay, but did you do the work he did? What did you do? Did you did you ever think about putting your stuff to music like that? Or you still got your boy with them? I do 10 beats for $50 and you just spitting over a beat, not composing music together with your lyricism. Um, did you value yourself? Because what happens is they see us, right? Uh, we've done McDonald's commercials. I've done Lexus commercials, McDonald's, Ohio State University Medical Center, a variety of places off the strength of, well, one, because I'm a bass in my voice, but also the people that booked me for those saw me because I did poetry. So they saw that. I've written content for the National Civil Rights Museum multiple times. Uh, we have an ongoing relationship with them uh, with the Lorraine Motel. Um, the uh, HBCU's National Speech and Debate Finals. I'm on the board. I sit on a chair on the board for them. Uh, so again, it's off the strength of poems. I've worked with the Koch Foundation. Uh, on and on and on, right? I know I know Casper for ESPN. One of my boys did a poem for the ESPY Awards. Um, Michael Harriet, uh, who writes with The Roots, uh, has a two-book deal worth a nice chunk of change. He's a poet. I've slammed against him like that's spam. Um, the work Chakra's done. Chakra's done stuff. I mean, so there's there's ways to do it. Uh, Brother Sheehan uh, writes commercials with Adidas for Nike. Salam AC has done multiple things for Essence Magazine, Essence Festival, etc. Uh, there's avenues to do it. We keep wanting someone to come we want someone with money in one hand and the other hand, they grab my hand and say, come with me. I'm going to show you what to do and take this money. But don't mm -hmm. do no work. Don't yeah. like, stay lazy. Um, without realizing that if in three minutes, to use Poetry Slam as an example, if in three minutes I can make you laugh, cry, get angry, I can change the way you think about things, feel about things. Um, I can make a room full of folks want to walk outside and start a riot. Mm -hmm. I can make people become turned on. I can make you fall in love. Those are all emotions. The way we write and the way we put the words together creates certain emotional responses and spiritual responses in you. And then we just sit back down. We get mad because we lost the slam. You know, mm -hmm. meanwhile, someone sits in that room, Jay sits in that room, and Jay has a degree in economics and in marketing, a master's, and he sits and goes, oh, wow, okay, hold on. So, mm -hmm. and then he in turn comes, he keeps listening, and he goes, hey, so how would you phrase this mm -hmm. if you were going to pitch this in a room? And he doesn't pay you because you're too big on ego. You just want the ego stroke. And then Jay takes what he learns going to these open mics and slams, goes to his boardroom and learns how to pitch what he wants to get what he wants. Because Jay's problem was he didn't have the words. Mm -hmm. He comes to us and gets the words and goes, oh, that's how to do it. And get the confidence. Every time I've told people watching, you see that random weird person show up at your open mic and slam. Mm -hmm. And they don't fit in. They kind of got their suit on and their dress shirt. We laugh. Look at that corny brother, dress shirt on. And he up here reading that whack poem. No, he's working with his public speaking. He's improving. He's nervous in front of people. Number one fear in the world is public speaking. He's yeah. working with his yeah. public speaking because he has a big event coming up. 
So then why instead of marketing yourself as, yo, I can help you win the next slam for $25 a month, I'll right. help you win the next game. Yo, no, no, no. Look, um, all my people on my Facebook page that have corporate jobs that are required to speak once a year in front of a group of people, I can help you speak well in front of those people. I can craft your poem. I can craft your speech. I can show you how to perform and get you over your stage fright and anxiety. And I can do that for $1,000. $500 down, $500 after you do it, follow up routine. See what I'm saying? It's, it's no different. Yeah. It's, we, we miss our mark. Like Asaw, oh, I can take these nonsense poems and the women will take it and turn it into a relationship conversation. But not if I keep charging $25. Because they won't believe it. But if I do Ilyana Van Zant money, all of a sudden your relationship saves, you're a Google. Mm -hmm. You know, you take your podcast, you do, it mm -hmm. becomes well known. Mm -hmm. And then you go, yo, so and so, so this is Jay and Christopher. We can tell you how to put together a podcast and really make it work and serve your people. We take what we've done, we break it down into bullet points, put it into a customizable PowerPoint presentation. And now we rent out the ballroom at the local hotel. Everybody wants to do a black podcast. You know, come here and see how the how the real people do it, and then they show up and pay you money for you to teach them what they do. You know, but as poets, we don't want that. As poets, we want someone to literally come to us, give us the money, and say, "Do what you want to do." Yeah. You know, without realizing how we do that, we have we are screenwriters, we are speech writers, uh, we are ghost writers for rappers, we are lyricists for singers, uh, we are uh, end of year financial report. Make it not boring stock report. Like every company has a, a a shareholders meeting where they speak on that. None of those, each one of those CEOs pays somebody big money, normally around a hundred thousand dollars, to help them work on their speech for that one speech to make it funny where it needs to be, serious where it needs to be. Presidents have every president has a speechwriter. Right. Most governors and senators and congressmen have speechwriters. You know what I'm saying? And those are all people that have to write what? How to get your emotional arts? They normally hire uh, retired preachers, or they or they hire screenwriters from Hollywood. Why aren't they hiring poets? Because we aren't putting ourselves in that position. But don't know our value. Poets. We don't yeah, know our value. We value ourselves so quickly. We'll fight for that open mic ego applause. We'll fight for that fifty dollar win in the slam. We'll fight for that. I'll come to your venue ten dollars less than Jay will do your venue. And and crap on my own brother, but we won't think about the business thing. I'm quick to tell people now. Hey, I perform. Hey, anybody here in corporate America that needs assistance in speaking, come talk to me. You know, like come talk to me. I can help you do what you need to do. I can help write that speech for you. You know, easily. You know, and like like ease, like it comes natural to us, right? It comes natural to both of you. We do this easily. Mm -hmm. You know, or sit back and be mad and be broke. Right. Yeah. It's either you want to be broken, popular, or or weird and paid. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, that's I, yeah. I'm much rather if I could go back and do anything differently, I would have done. I'd have I'd have believed in myself a lot sooner. Yeah. I, I turned down a lot of I turned down a lot of opportunities because I didn't see how I could do it. Until one day, a sister who picked me for a corporate event, she said, brother, if we didn't think you could do it, we wouldn't have invited to talk to you. 
Like, we don't have time to waste. We ain't doing this to stroke your ego, make you feel good about your esteem. Like, we don't know you. We right. wouldn't have brought you in this room. Literally, she took me out of the room on a break uh, because I was messing up really bad. I was really, just, oh, you know, uh, uh, uh. She said, okay, y'all, give us five minutes real quick. And everybody looked at me and she said, look, I wouldn't have brought you in here if I didn't think you could do the job. Just get up and do what I saw you do. I'll make it make sense. I'll make it make sense to them on, in our, um, and that's when I learned about code switching. We do have to learn how to code switch. Right. You can't go spit whatever poem at the Coca-Cola office that you would spit at the show. But you do have to learn how there is a thing that you have to spit there and they learn it. So you have to learn their language. When I say this, they hear that. When I do this, it turns into that. You know, why, do you, why did you ever have an HBO deaf poet show? Why did you have the Brave New Voices on HBO? Why did you have Verses and Flow? Why did you have Lyric Cafe? Because somebody with millions of dollars said, I want you to go get a group of people to go talk that talk and then stick our logo up every time they go to commercial. That lets you know that you're doing something. Then I do it as a tax write-off, mm. right? The McDonald's, the BTs, the TV ones, the HBOs, all of them are in the business of making money. Ain't none of them are nonprofit. So if they go, yeah, spit some poems, you have to think, okay, well, how when Sonny Patterson gets commissioned to write two poems for Serena Williams for a Beats by Dre headphone, new release of a new headphone or a Nike commercial. Why? Because they heard you do a poem and said, oh, you can reach people. You can make them feel a thing. Mm-hmm. And our people with their marketing degrees turn it into they code switch it. You know, so when you say rise up and swing, sister, and Serena swings the racket in a slow mm-hmm. motion, that's all that's marketing and psychologists that are getting paid a lot of money on retainer by Nike or by Beast by Dre to take what you said and turn it into this thing. So what we have to do is you go back and look at that thing, go mm-hmm. back and watch that commercial and go, okay, so what did they see in Sonny to use that, to use her for that? And how do I do that on purpose? How do I speak their language and write that thing up front and then contact them and go, hey, for your next series of commercials, I've got 20. You know, how do I con- how do I get that advertising agency job without a master's in marketing with a focus on advertising? Because I can show up where that person knows the technical side. I know the skill set of the writer. So at least hire me and get me in the door. You know, like you said, yeah. be willing to be to me the be weird part, it just means be willing to not be on stage. Be yeah. willing to not be the person in the limelight. Sonny was easily not the person in that commercial, but you hear her voice. There you go. Beyonce's Lemonade uh, movie music video. Uh, Chimamani Ngazi Adichie and the other sister who work is in there, the other poet work is in there. They weren't in the thing. Their work is in the thing. Someone else is spitting it. Did they get a cut? Yeah. You know, and their work, and their work reached millions of people who wouldn't have otherwise reached. You know, every year the Roots used to have it where they did one poem I think their first five or six albums, one track per album had a poet on it. You know, Ursula Rucker and other folks did it. Um, same thing. You know, millions of people reached that. You know, so yeah. you have to learn how to flip that thing to turn it into something. Yeah. Jay Z, I, I look at Jay Z a lot for those kind of things. He released a Magna Carta Holy Grail. I turned that into a workshop, a business workshop for folks. I say everything you need to know about what 
you need to do as an artist and as a poet is in the infomercial about the album drop. If you watch that, if you watch that infomercial, literally, I did a three-hour course on everything on business. He co he covers it in that commercial. When he said he's been giving the game away free for years, that's what he meant. Like I'm never going to tell y'all how to go from selling crack to being a billionaire. I'm never going to publicly discuss that conversation. Mm. But if you listen to what I'm doing and you watch how I'm moving, I'm showing you how to do this. I'm showing you how to clean bad money, or I'm showing you if your money is clean, how to flip it. Um, he's literally, Magna Carta Holy Grail was literally him going, hip hop was the wild, wild west because of the digitized version of what streams meant. So there were no more rules. Make your own rules, make your own lane. As poets, make your own lane. Y'all decided to make Poet Life podcast. Uh, we're only dealing with the top 1% of who we feel are the best poets in the world. You just say that. And then by default, whoever you bring on becomes that. Right? People can agree or disagree out in the world, but if you said we only deal with the top 1%, whoever's on your show becomes the top 1%. Their job becomes how do they use that? You know, pot, Poet Life said don't deal with the top 1%. I was on Poet Life show. Therefore, the math is I'm 1%. So how do I spin that? Um, a cat who went to MIT came to a slam. He's the one that told me the whole winning is things. The edge you win on average at 85%. I said, okay, you know, whatever. He said, but the average poet wins somewhere between 15 to 20%. So you're, you're, you're not even in the same conversation. So how do you start to pitch that? You're the winningest poet in the history of slam. Or you have over, you know, 700 wins, you know, which are all true numbers, right? But also numbers that start making people think you have to take it out of the poet conversation when I share the bio and put it into sports analogies. Because you can hate basketball, but you get the numbers. You can hate football, right. but you get numbers. So the moment you go winningest, all of a sudden it goes, oh, well, I don't know nothing about no poetry slam. I know who Jordan is who Kobe is, who LeBron is. I know Wayne Gretzky. I know Matt Johnson. I know, you know, so I know these names. I know Serena. I know Venus. So then all of a sudden I started doing interviews and I noticed by changing my bio that the conversation changed when I was interviewed. They go, so you're the winningest ever. You win on average X amount of times. You won 500. Da, 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 da. So that makes you like the so-and-so of, and I didn't have to do it. It was oh so you're the oh so you're the goat you're the greatest of all time when it comes to slam okay you said it not me you know and then that changed I know how it changed the conversation it changed uh, who contacted me you know it changed the reach out same thing so then uh, you do the National Civil Rights Museum you know I, I write uh, I write I'm commissioned to write uh, a commemorative poem for the Freedom Awards every year, the past three four years. Mm. Uh, hopefully that'll be an ongoing sort of lifelong thing. I love working. Um, it's a lot of work, right? It's a lot of work, but it's a beautiful thing to do. And mm -hmm. I do it for the spiritual aspect of saying I'm giving back to my people. The Freedom Awards is a legit serious thing. I have to write the poem for the winners, the people who were nominated that year and won. Uh, and then that just kind of turned into a thing. But that turned into me performing a poem live in front of folks who paid $250 to $2,000 a ticket just to be in the room when it happens. You know, so that puts me on stage with former Vice President Joe Biden, Jesse Jackson, Bernie King, Dr. Bernie King, 
uh, Hakimata Budi, uh, Hugh Masakela's son, because she couldn't make it, um, uh, Gloria Steinem, uh, the owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves. You know, so all of a sudden you're in a different room with a different conversation. You know what I'm saying? Um, and even like that, and then I'll shut up. But I'm just doing this because you said people go back and they watch this for business talk. So then the business talk becomes, I get in that door because they did a poetry event that didn't work out. It didn't work. But they liked my poems and they liked me. So the next thing was they kind of put me through a hazing of polite hazing of mm -hmm. is he just a poet, right? So they'd invite me to dinners, come down and do this event. We only have but this much money. They knew it was more money than what most poets would get, but they knew it wasn't necessarily on par with who else is in that room. But to see, are you willing to be part of our family? Can we work with you? Do we like you? Are you likable? Never mind your poem. Can we rock with you? Mm. And then one day we're sitting at a dinner and one of the sisters with the board was like, so we're really glad you came to dinner. And what was interesting about that particular thing was there was, I can say this now because it's been a couple of years now, it's not for me by the spot. Um, there was a bunch of poets that had been part of that event. We all made money, whether we worked behind the scenes or in front of the scenes. And a bunch of them decided to sit because they said, hey, it's our treat. Credit card, our treat. Order what you want, go crazy. Do the card down. Everybody, ah, hit the bar. And a bunch of them hit the bar, order food, appetizers, you know. I'm gonna sit over here at the table with the with the grown folks. I'm gonna sit with mom and them. I'm gonna sit with them, right? And just talk. And they Ed, kind of like this. Ed, tell us about your past. You know, tell us about your love life. Got a girlfriend, wife. What you do with yourself? Uh, what you do before poetry? And it seemed like a very casual conversation until I realized they're all sitting there with their hands folded and just nodding when I speak. And I was like, Oh, this is an interview. This is an interview, right? It's a twelve o'clock at night. In this bar restaurant interview. And it's like, okay, thank God. <laughs> you know, I actually was just chilling anyway. So I wasn't like telling lies I had to make up for it. And then by the end of the night, once it's like, thank you very much for coming, she said, and I really want to thank you for choosing to sit with us mm -hmm. and have these conversations. And the way she said, I was like, I really want to turn around, like, yo, y'all, get over here. Like, come over here real quick. But by this point, half of them have left. Half of them have like, you know, I ordered extra food to go back to my hotel room. You know, because again, you said you're paying. I ordered the steak. Well, normally I would get a hamburger. I did whatever, whatever. Mm. Um, and then next thing you know, I leave. By the time I get home, the next day I've got an email. Uh, and they're already saying, so you know you're on schedule for next year, right? And there's two more things we have going on. And we want you to be a writer for this. And we need we need something written for this event, uh, the anniversary commemoration of the assassination of MLK, the 50th commercial they did at the museum, uh, was streamed on C-SPAN, CNN, etc. And it says to me, Jesse was coming, Al Green singing, uh, rest in peace, uh, brother John was just there, uh, on on and on, like all this. I mean, just Dr. Benjamin Chavez. I mean, just heroes, civil rights heroes. And uh, yeah, we want you to write a piece for this. So in the midst of all these people speaking, come and spit a piece on our behalf. Um, and you're going to speak just before they ring the bell to mark the 60 seconds of silence. It's like, oh, okay. That's all on the strength of because I sat at a table and I knew how to act. It just, you know, it was just, just good business. 
I didn't see the rooms that were available. And then once I saw those rooms, though, now our conversations are different. Hey, come down. Hey, so y'all got the flight, right? You got the hotel, right? Because, you know, the same thing now with the conversations. Yes, now it's um, go to the Freedom Awards and it's don't talk to us, contact the director. You know, he puts it, it's like the Oscars. It's someone they bring in a company from LA and they put the whole awards show on. But yeah, when you get here, talk to the director. And Kirk Whalen's performing this year, and Aretha Franklin's mm-hmm. getting on the scene. So they're going to need to talk to you about setting a time to poem and so and so singing. I want you to come out on stage like this and just set it all up and we'll see you then. And I used to think to myself, like, they trust me way too much. Like, they don't know me and they don't know if I know how to do this. They're like, no, we just trust, again, because at dinner, we trust who that person was. That person is going to do anything to you know. And that's just business, bro. And it's, it's those doors. So that's turned into advertising. Yo, so what do you want? Well, I can't sell merch at the Freedom Awards. Can you please put my face and name and contact info in that program? And they're like, sure. You know, and that's turned into things and turned into things, bro. So it's, it's there's doors on top of doors, man. It's, it's uh, we just need to get out of our own way and realize yeah. how incredibly amazing we are. You know, the power of words can change literally everything literally everything if you knew what this is going to do for so many poets like i'm sitting here like i don't think he understands what he just did for this podcast this one thing you said is that you bring on the top one percent poets on your podcast you already know what that's going to do when i use that that because i'm using it I'm using two things from this pocket. I'm using, for now on, we now only bring on the top 1% on this podcast. (laughs) And they teach what they know, but also I got the the title, the piece of the title, the winningest poet. (laughs) Listen, man. This is good, yeah, bro. Business, but we can we can do business talk today. But a business part excites me. I mean, it's I own three comp I own three small companies that uh all are in the black, and that's all because of poetry, and they have nothing to do with poetry. What 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 are they? Um, I own a, a vintage goods and services company. I sell vintage luggage, and I uh, curate luggage orders for people. I uh, also sell vintage jewelry, and I created customized and make jewelry myself. Our furbish jewelry. Um, that company's in the black. Um, I own a uh, small press and I have five, four books and my fifth book is coming out uh, next month uh, on that press. I would love to say who, but I can't say yet, but it's right. a literal living legend and it's his first ever book. He's a literally living legend in the name of poetry and it's the first book uh, he's ever released. So I'm very blessed that he's uh, allowed me to be the one to release it. Um, and I also just started a fashion line where the t-shirt conversation is why I know the t-shirt conversation start off with t-shirts and then it was like I don't want this poets buy if only poets buy my t-shirt I'm gonna be broke yeah. you know that's like saying you're a rapper but you only want black people listening to your music or you only want a rapper to wear your your clothes right. yeah you don't you don't hit those numbers you need to hit if it's just it's not it's not hating on us there's not enough of us yeah yeah right? You can't, you don't perform on the Grammys because we got you there. Right. We want to get you there, but it's not because we got you there. You yeah. know, every black person in the world didn't buy the next Drake album 
Drake gonna be okay. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Like Drake. Drake did the math. Drake is just fine. J- Jigga is not concerned about you know everybody. Uh, cancel Kanye. I, I don't think Kanye is worried about y'all no more. You know he not became a billionaire. He's officially a certified billionaire this year. And you do understand he got that from the Yeezy collection. He is worth six hundred eighty million dollars. His Yeezy collection averages one hundred thirty-three million dollars a year in his pocket. Therefore, Forbes went ahead and certified him as a billionaire this year. Yeah, they didn't even bring up his music. They don't discuss how crazy. They don't discuss his music. Awesome sneakers. He has a deal with Gap. Literally, so he's doing all this other stuff. I get that part, but I talk about like this, like. Did anyone else notice this before all this quote unquote crazy talk he's talking? He just released the fact he dropped the album, had another album coming out, started seeing a whole bunch of stuff about running for president. And it's like, oh, by the way, I'm a certified billionaire and I got to deal with Gap. And everybody just kind of pushed that part of the conversation over, like, oh, he's talking crazy talk. It's like, but he's never crazy when he signs the papers. Right. Like, anytime he signs them contracts, same. You know, every time the music drops, every time the albums drop quietly and privately, every time he gets a whole group of people together to record out of some album, some studio crazy place out in the middle of nowhere, and he drops his church out, whatever, like every time he does business, he's kind of there. It's like, we don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, we don't get it. Uh, we have to start thinking, you have to start living a minimum 12 months in advance. Mm. Like, y'all are doing that. I thought that was very sexy, by the way. Uh, y'all contacted me. People who watch this in the future, uh, they con- you contacted me months in advance for this mm-hmm. to say, Hey, we'll contact you months in advance to do this, and in turn, it'll be another X amount of time before this gets shared. And I was like, Oh, then these are brothers that are living in the future. Mm-hmm. We have to time travel. You cannot live in the present. If you live in the present, you are living in the past right now. And I'm, I'm spiritually speaking, I believe that time is moving faster, like literally, like. I don't know how to explain it. Like, I believe time is the days I notice days I sit. I'm like, where'd the day go? I or what, or what day is it? Right. You know, and I get some of that comes from the COVID and being stuck in the house. But other part of it is like, I have, I have a schedule every day of things to do. Sometimes I don't get things done. I'm like, how in the world was I getting things done when I was on the road? I'm sitting at home and not getting things done. Mm. Time is moving faster, right? Um, but in terms of being an artist, like I said, Talon Macy would book shows a year in advance. Um, so he was living in the future. Erica Badu talked about us being time travelers in her songs. Like, again, all these poets, Talon Macy, one of the greatest folklore artists in the history of poetry. Erica Badu, definitely a poet in her own right. Uh, most of her lyricism is poetry. She just sings it to confuse you, to get the vibration and frequencies that make you absorb her, her message, right? Um, so you otherwise, she just talked to you and listened to it. Um, but these people discuss traveling like time traveling we are time travelers we are moving uh when you schedule this in advance to have this talk that's mm-hmm. time travel they're yeah. planning for the future right we're talking now and before we started talking you said ed this isn't live mm-hmm. it's going to be released in the future mm-hmm. but by the time it drops you'll have interviewed several more people right mm-hmm. and forgot all about me because you're moving on as you should so you're working with the future but when people see it it's going to affect them in the moment. And they're going to go, yo, poet life about that life. I got to follow them, da 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 da. Or you're already behind. You know, but cool, like, fault, but you're already behind, right? We see a movie drop, and then we wonder what that actor's doing. That actor finished that movie a year ago. 
He working on another one. They're on the next thing, you know. But then they and then they come back and talk about the movie. So we think, oh, it must have just wrapped up last week. No, they pay me to come back. So the movie wrapped last January. They say we're going to market it next January. So schedule January out to do the circuit to market for us. Cool, no problem. And we in our mind go, we see you now. So it's happening now. No, 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 no. It's been done. It's been done. And as artists, uh, we have to do comedians normally tour about 50 weeks a year. So comedians are always living in the future. Comedians are sitting at that show thinking about the next hotel, the next flight, the next gig, right? Uh, athletes live in the future. Uh, for some, you know, dancers, musicians. For some reason, us as poets, we get lazy and we're like, yeah, you know, I'm going to catch the next show. It's like, nah, bro. Mm-mm. Every year I post but I, uh, for my New Year's for the past three years. I post Happy New Year's. Uh, it's already summer. Yeah. And then when around February, I say it's already, it's, you know, spring is over. Because if you haven't, right now, if I haven't, if I can't tell you what I'm doing this time next year, it's almost too late. But COVID Because companies, over. like you said, companies are already, they already know who's performing next year. And that's where we are now with business, right? To bring it back to your business talk, right? Yeah. For everyone that'll watch this, um, COVID has done a hard reset on the world, mm. but specifically America. The rest of the world is used, is a lot of parts of the world, I should say, are used to various epidemics and plagues and pandemics. So they address it a little differently. Uh, America has been very spoiled. The few things that have come and hit us, we've hit back hard and quick during the Obama administration, prior to that, or it hasn't been super serious. What hasn't done this hasn't stopped livelihood. Other countries are used to going, yo, we got to shut down everything and everybody stay at home until we figure it out. America's not used to that. What that's done is, uh, like I tour colleges, a good chunk of my money now comes from touring colleges. That's a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, my agent called me and said, hey, you lost five shows in November. That's ten thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. So you go, oh, it's only five shows it's in November. Yeah, but my salary for the next 12 months just dropped $10,000. I ain't rich, y'all. Like, <laughs> I ain't rich. Don't get it twisted. Like, we all paycheck to paycheck right now, and ain't no paychecks. Mm. So for someone to tell me, hey, by the way, in the future, you lost 10 grand. And the way COVID set up, there's no way for you to make it back up. You immediately have to go, how can I make this back up? So what I'm saying is, as artists, especially as poets and performing artists, we start thinking way outside the box, virtual shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that changes your virtual market. What's your virtual price? Can you rock a virtual show? I've done several virtual performances for schools that were like, yeah, we're going to cancel you because we can't have you here. I was like, actually, my contract says if you cancel me now, you still owe me 70% of the pay. So we might as well keep the show and find another way to do it. And they get mad. It's like, but you're going to pay me 70% and do nothing? Pay me 100% and get the show. So they go, okay, we'll go ahead and pay you. Great. Let's discuss how to do this. And that's turned into uh, doing live performances on Facebook Live through Mm -hmm. Zoom Mm -hmm. because every school has a Facebook page. They all have a business education Facebook page. So their students can tune in anytime for the next 12 months and see my performance on that Facebook page. Um, but then it turned into teaching myself, how do you perform in this room, in this chair, or standing up in a wall with some paintings behind me 
and engage them knowing there's no feedback no claps no snaps no cheers no applause no nothing it's me looking at myself on the screen right how do i do that why i know it's going to work for them so i wrote a couple things i tested stuff out and for one show i said hey can we do it where they can watch me live and comment live and they said sure anyone who wants to tune in we'll make it open for the school to tune in so the whole school could tune in and i watched the comments you know oh my god i'm crying right now oh that that line you said about this and i'll just make little notes over to the side where they couldn't see like check mark that poem check mark that poem scratch that poem this poem's good this one should have been i should have done this earlier this one probably works later scratch this poem all together don't do this don't do that just from you know yeah i'm really inspired too hell yeah i love this or no not that or oh tears or happier joy laughter and you go okay cool now in turn i can take that recording because it's my performance i can share with other schools and go here's me performing for such and such school uh their population is 50,000 students so here's me doing it live here's the tune in and here's some of the responses i got and they go oh okay so he can actually not you know, because why would, why would we pay Christopher X amount of dollars to sit at home and spit poems? We got to know for a fact, like, we're getting our money's worth, right? Um, but now I can show you that through other schools, you know? Um, so that's where the market's going, is how do you do it virtually? Right. You know, because it's never going to go back to 10, they're saying at least 10% of all colleges are going to close because of this. You're talking millions of dollars, millions, hundreds of millions, they're never going to come back. Uh, some of the canceled that I didn't get canceled because I got canceled. I got canceled because they said we're shutting down our student activity department. Oh, so entire schools are going. We don't care what happens in the future with COVID. We're never having student activities again. We're never going back to that model, even if we physically open up the campus. We're never having student activities again, where we need to finance the department. Otherwise, you tell them to take, give them leave. You shut down the department, you fire them. That's a permanent thing, yo. That's not me as a poet, my $2,000. That's a million dollar budget for that school. Five employees. That also means, but the money's still there. The grant money and stuff is still there. How do you get hold to it? Who do you contact to get it? You know, I wasn't coming in to entertain y'all in the first place. I was coming to edutain. Mm. So how do I reach which department at that school got that money? Yo, you need me to perform. Or I'll come and do a performance and we'll, we'll social distance. You know, um, I did one where I did a speech. I had to do a 30 minute talk on living as an artist during COVID. And then I said, I need to copy that recording because I'm going to share that with other schools. Like, hey, I know it's hard for you. We can get through this together. You know, but what does it look like? So, same thing, bro. We're never going back to that. I've seen drive through uh, Sherry Zantea in Dallas Poetry Slam. They do a, a drive in poetry show. You stay in your car. Right. Uh, they pay a fee to get access to a radio uh, a transponder. Yeah. And then you sit in your car. They brought the food. They brought the drinks like an old school happy days kind of setup. And mm -hmm. then you they, and, the, and the person performed underneath a little thing. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh, so. You're never probably going to go back to what you had, even when venues open, you can just keep doing this and have the space in this parking lot rather than pay the overhead of the venue. You know, so things are changing like they're, they're changing rapidly to where when we open back up, a lot of people are going to go, well, yeah, I could go back to doing this or I can just check out the Poet Life podcast.
mm, I don't need to check this. I can I can tune into this show and get that thing I used to get elsewhere. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and that's what networks are going to come in. I think Netflix and Amazon are going to start doing uh, offering a live podcast option as part of their services. You know, because they want your they want your binge attention and money. They also want your day to day attention. I really think that's going to be the next move for them. They're like, yo, so we need a breakfast club. We need a TMZ. We need a this. We need a that. We need a live streaming podcast so we don't pay overhead. We don't pay you for studio. Mm-hmm. We, sign, we make you sign a contract. We send all the equipment you need to your home. You set it up in your room. Do what you got to do from your room. Green screen and done. You yeah. know, And you'll make six figures doing Poet Life podcast for Netflix. And it'll be part of their arts and entertainment they are. I'm telling you, when 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 we start promoting this as the number, the the top five, what is it, top one percent poets in the world, like it's 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 equivalent to the Breakfast Breakfast Club saying they're the most dangerous radio show. You see this, right? Right. Yeah, right, right. That's good, man. It puts, it puts you in a certain place, you know. We only yeah. deal with the one percent, you know, well, not the one percenters, but the one percent, you know, or the top, you know, we only deal poet life deals with the top poets, whatever. Yeah, you know, it becomes a thing where the oh, then let me tune in and see what's going on. Yeah, you know, and not only that, to the poet, let me get my game together, let me get my let me get myself together so I can because everybody's trying to get on the breakfast club. So I need to start. I need some hits. I need something going on. Oh, yeah. Trust and believe. You know, there's rappers. There's rappers on the daily sitting out front of Master Flex's office, <laughs> hoping to get in and do a freestyle. You know, hoping to get on Hot 97. They sitting out there waiting, like, uh, they just check me out. They're like, nah, bro. There's a list. You know, there's people that drop by. You know, I, I watched. I don't know who it was. Someone did one Breakfast Club. I remember them saying, they're like, I've been trying to get on here for a couple of years, and I was like, wow, you couldn't get on. I can remember who the artist was, but they were complaining about they couldn't get on. And I was like, how did they're like, yeah, brother, this is crazy. Like the line is the line is long to get on. Yeah. Yeah. Bro, we, same thing. I would love to do that. I want to be the poet that ends up on the Breakfast Club having a conversation. But minus any stupid drama, just the poet on there to have a conversation about whatever. Um, I think that they have Saul, they've had Saul Williams on there multiple times. But that's because Saul is. Um, but the notion like being on there and coming out of the poetry slam community. Um, and discussing the kind of thing or having this kind of talk, I think would be dope. Because uh, again, it opens up that platform of going, oh, randomly getting on America's Got Talent. You know, mm-hmm. him doing that, all of a sudden was just was like, oh, so we can do, you can spit and get on that thing. You spit a poem and got on that joint and actually got moved on to the next next round. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And did it in an empty room. Again, he did his during their COVID tape. He, he, didn't, he didn't have all the what? he didn't have all that. It was him and the judges and a couple lights. And I was like, and again, but that goes back, we've been talking forever. That goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the whole uh what we do and how we undervalue it. For him to walk into that room, we've all performed on a at a show and been like, wow, it's just thin tonight. It's a small crowd. Yeah, dog, we, we packed the place. And you get in this 12 people, it's five people. And they want you to go first. You're like, okay. And you still got to perform like you're, you're, you know, trying to blow the roof off the place if you're trying to do your job. 
So when uh, B went in there and he saw that, he's like, I've been to open mics and slams where it was it was a thin crowd. This ain't no big deal to me. You know, and I've been in slams where I had to perform for judges. So again, literally think about that as far as those talent shows and TV shows, you perform for judges. You have to ignore the noise of the crowd. When poetry slam, you perform for the judges. You ignore the audience and the crowd. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he could walk in there and rock it, I'm not surprised. He should walk in there and rock that. He's made, he's built to handle that. You know what I'm saying? He's literally built to walk in there and smash that. You know? I'm so excited about the 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 live shows. Mm. You know, when that when that starts to air, because he made it with the golden buzzer, he made mm-hmm. it straight to the live shows. Yeah. That's gonna be oh yeah. Once they let some people in and stuff, it's gonna be I'm excited for this same thing, like no matter what happens, win, lose, or draw. I do think it's hard for a poet to win because of the way those shows are built. Like they're built, we're used to singers and dancers, and you know. When you do a poem, you can't have too much take away from the poem. You can't people dance and shoot on fireworks and stuff, right? But the fact that he made it there and he gets to spit instantly, that's however many millions of people watch it in that moment and how many people go back and watch it online. And then that clip that gets replayed and replayed. And then all of a sudden, everybody goes, yo, so we have to, again, we have to protect ourselves, make sure that uh, shady investors, shady promoters don't use us. You know, yo, so we want to do an America's Got Talent contest here, pay $35 to be part, we have to watch out for that, right? But it also sheds light on us to go, look what we can do. Mm-hmm. You know, if you went on there and made so-and-so cry, so-and-so cry, so-and-so tear up, again, then you can't, you don't tell me you can't turn that into a valid such-and-such commercial. You know, at Christmas time, you can't turn that into a valid such-and-such speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course you can Mm-hmm. You know, so my question, like, is what is B? I don't know what his, his ambitions are. Uh, I know, but I don't know like that. Uh, whatever, like, his ambitions are to what he wants to turn it into. Mm-hmm. You know, but every poet watching it should watch it and not go, yo, I want to get on America's Got Talent next season. Nah, he did that. Mm-hmm. Your goal should be, what can I do? You know, as soon as they go to break, look at all these sponsors. Every one of those commercials is a sponsor. Look at the end when it wraps up and watch the credits. All those companies had to give him the thumbs up of saying, yeah, that's cool. Because they had to allow poetry to be allowed as being a category in the first place. So and I think one of Howie Mandel, one of them said, I regret that it took this long for us to get poetry spoken word on here in the first place. Wow. Like, wow, I can't believe it took that long. So, yeah, but look at all those companies. All those companies are not watching. Who do you know you can get yourself in the door there? You know, hey, I can write. I'm a writer. Are they looking for copywriters? I can write copy, and never and you'll never see my face. And I'll be making six figures a year just writing copy. You know, hammering out. You know, I can go write for Ellen. I can write for someone's daytime talk show. I can write for you know, uh, uh, Trevor Noah. You know what I'm saying? I can do that. Yeah, bro. The sky's the limit for us, man. We just gotta stop playing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I um <clears throat> again you are just giving me so much man <clears throat> and if you're giving me so much I know whoever's listening whoever's watching they're just like in a silent room just soaking it all up you know what I mean and um um <clears throat> we here at the poet life we hire poets um to edutain you know to educate um to perform you know we've had 
poets perform at the White House when Barack was the president, mm. National Mall, and so on and so forth. Um, um, but now I, I really want to connect with poets like yourself um, and and say, hey, tell me, first of all, what have you done and what can you do, right? As mm. in, you, you, you said that you, you can write for this person, you can write for this person, I can write for this commercial. I need poets to give me that list of things that they can do because what I'm going to then do <clears throat> is is start reaching out to those companies and say, listen, this these are the things that we this is the things that we can do. And we have the top one yeah. <laughs> percent rolling back to it. The top one percent po poets in the world. You understand what I'm saying? We have Brandon Leak. Uh, we have Ed Mayberry. I mean, like, so, so that's that's our next move, man. Uh, because yeah. it, it's going to take one person, one organization to make it happen. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But that, just like Ace Metaphor did mm. for you and other poets, he brought you on and said, What's your cash app? Right. Same difference. See what I'm saying? So, so um, expect a call, expect a text, a DM from me, man. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm so serious. You know what I'm saying? You know I'm serious. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and and we're gonna get in those rooms, man. You know because um, I've always wondered, like, we know how to do words, you know, and that's what they need. Why wouldn't they come to a poet to write their commercial? Or at least insert one into the mm. commercial or the movie or mm. the production, the project. So that's what we're going to do, man. So just expect some correspondence from me. Um, you know, you can talk about this all night. I can talk about this all night. I promise you, this, this, this these are the conversations I love, man. And it's just hard uh, to 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 find like minded people that that want to talk this. Right, right, right. Right. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, and it's not deciding conversation. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's like yeah. and not just talk about movies, sports, and like this is this is I like talking future talk. Like future talk, that's the conversations I like to have, man. And and I really appreciate um you coming on. Uh yeah, yeah most definitely. I said I gotta get I and I you know, I didn't know you. You know, yeah. I, knew, I knew you through the people that I know, the Orwell, the poets, the, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and I said, I'm just going to DM him. Uh, I, I, hey, <laughs> you might say, no, I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm going to DM him real quick. All I need is your email. Let me send you this introductory email real quick and let you know when your date is. You know what I'm saying? And um, yeah. I just want to say thank you, sir. It's been an honor. Uh, I, I've watched you. Uh, and I'm going to continue to watch her. I'm a partner with you, you know, and we're going to make some things happen. And um, if you have anything else to say to the people, what would you say? Um, well, one, you can find me. Everything's online is my name. It's easy to find. It may be my Instagram. It may be gmail.com is my Gmail. Um, yeah, just be careful during this time. COVID is crazy, but don't let it affect your mindset um, or your bottom line pocket. And just start thinking about your plan for what you're going to do when it's over, because we're never going to return to what things were. Uh, so you need to start thinking about the, what the new normal looks like and then how you can survive and thrive in that new normal. 
Um, there's a place for every one of us, artists and otherwise, uh, in this new world. We just have to make sure that we're in charge of it before people start telling us what we want to do. Um, now is an opportune time, especially as Black people, uh, everyone, but especially as Black folks, to start thinking about how we're going to uh, stake our claim and make our mark. Um, I'm challenging more and more artists to run for office. Uh, every year I do this. I want more and more artists, active artists, professional touring artists, uh, whatever artists, to run for office where they live, from the school board, the PTO, all the way up to governor and senator and mayor and all that. Uh, but run for office. I think the more artists we have in official capacities, the better off we are. Um, uh, follow your dreams. There's no such thing as the American dream anymore. There never was. It was a myth to begin with. Uh, so whatever it is that you want to do, pursue that thing. Decide what rich and wealthy and success and happy mean for you. Uh, pursue that and get that. If you get that, then no one else can tell you anything. Uh, just try to make sure it includes generational wealth. Um, if you have art, protect your art, copyright, trademark your art, take care of your art, uh, make sure your art is yours. Um, don't give it to anyone. Make sure you will it to your kids. Make sure you will it to somebody black. Um, yeah, make sure that you actually list it, even if you don't think it's nothing. I'm going back now with all my poems and making sure that they are uh, put in a living will for someone to create my own estate. Otherwise, it falls through whoever claims your body or whatever person processed your paperwork when you die. And that could just be a lawyer. Uh, somewhere holding on to like you know your 500 poems and turn it into money one day so uh nah that gonna happen for me uh but that's it man yeah just just love each other uh whenever everybody watches this in the future just love each other uh we're gonna get through this um and just remember black lives matter all day every day and twice on sunday uh and, and we will make that clear one way or the other I love it. I love it. And I really appreciate you, man. Listen, everybody, it's the Poet Life Podcast. Go to our website, thepoetlife.com. Check us out. If you need some Poet Life gear, go to poetlifegear.com. We're doing a whole lot. And just, just, just imagine we're going to be working together with Mr. Ed Mabry. You'll see us in the boardroom. Trust me when I tell you it's going to happen because uh, we speak future talk. So that's what's going to happen, man. It's the Poet Life Podcast. Thank you all so much. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube page and um, check out the, ne the next episode, man. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but this one right here is the one that you need to rewind and rewatch. This is the Poet Life Podcast. Thanks for watching. Introducing the Poet Life Podcast. Go check it out today on your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Apple Music, and the website, thepoetlife.com. Find a way, find a way.